when we look through this lens of intersectionality, we, we see that race and socioeconomics and immigration status and gender all come into play and weave together to keep people out of doing some of these things that create a lot of um, healing and physical health and joy and just transformative experiences in all kinds of ways in our leadership that really last in our lives. And so we do our best to try to make those experiences bespoke and designed for and available to folks that might not be outdoors otherwise. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford. Hey, everybody. Stu here. My guest today is Sarah Murray, and she is the Executive Director at Women's Wilderness. They have a mission to support girls, women, and LGBTQ plus people in accessing their power and improving their health through outdoor community and the connections that you can build in outdoor spaces. Today, we talked a lot about how to leverage their list to get more information and to get a good understanding and buy-in to what Women's Wilderness is is trying to accomplish in this crazy world in which we live. Um, I think that you're really going to enjoy this show. It, It has a lot of really good ideas that I think any organization can hop into really to just create relationships and build on those relationships that you already have. Here we go. Hi, Sarah. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you doing? I'm hanging in there. It's a glorious wintry day up here, uh, up the hill today. So it's um, still snowing a little bit. This this episode will air in June, I think, though. So I'm, I'm sure things will look a little di- bit different then. Yeah, well, we can use all the snow we could get. Our uh, snowpack hasn't been great this year. So we'll definitely, in June, appreciate the fact that we had the snow today. Now, are you a skier or snowboarder or other snow activity type person? Yeah, I I don't discriminate. I like all the outdoor activities. So I've uh, spent a lot of time snowboarding and um, don't ski too much. Sometimes I cross country ski, but I mostly split board if I'm in the back country. We'll do just about anything. I have a two-year-old, so I end up uh, tubing a lot these days down our little mini hill. That's awesome. I was at, at Monarch Resort actually yesterday skiing with some friends and I was telemarking for the first time in, gosh, it's probably been 15 years or so since I actually telemarked. So it was kind of sporty for me. Oh, how are your quads feeling today and your glutes? Uh, they're a little tired, but uh, but not terrible. I, I was worried that I would be a little bit more sore than I actually am. Um, and given what we were skiing, it was uh, I was pretty surprised. It all kind of came back to me, and I was I was happy that 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 was the case. I used to telemark a ton, and now I mostly at ski. Oh, nice, good on you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about. Women's Wilderness. It's a really cool organization that you have have going on down there in Boulder. Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, Women's Wilderness, we've been around for about 23 years, and we're a nonprofit organization. Our mission is to support girls, women, and LGBTQ plus people in uh, accessing their power and improving their health through connections to the outdoors and community. Um, So what that means practically is 
we take a lot of folks outdoors, um, especially folks that are queer or girls and women, uh, to rock climb and backpack and canoe and do all kinds of different activities. Um, some of them much more technical, uh, longer, more intense, a little more, um, you know, extreme and others that are after school programs that are like really low barrier to entry, slacklining, um, exploring city parks and just trying to, to get folks in the outdoors. And we do, we do this work, uh, with the lens of social justice and looking at intersectionality basically and thinking about, uh, who is not in the outdoors and who has, um, worse social determinants of health, basically mental health and physical health. Um, and could use this experience. And so when we look through this lens of intersectionality, we, we see that race and socioeconomics and immigration status and gender all come into play and weave together to keep people out of doing some of these things that create a lot of um, healing and physical health and joy and just transformative experiences in all kinds of ways in our leadership that really last in our lives. Um, and so we do our best to try to make those experiences um, bespoke and designed for and available to folks that might not be outdoors otherwise. Um, so we have about, we run year-round programs. So okay. we do some after-school programs in uh, Boulder and in Jeffco and in Denver. Uh, for those of you listening outside of Colorado, those are all areas in the greater Denver metro area. And uh, we also have a huge summer uh, course series where girls um, and women alike and some queer folks do summer camps with us, everything from a five-day third and fourth grader uh, with one little overnight kind of day camp type experience to 21-day expeditions in uh, Pecos Wilderness in New Mexico or in Utah. Um, and yeah, so that's generally the work that we do. Um, and we love doing it. That's great. And so are most of the people who participate in your programs from the Denver area or do you, do you get groups coming in from, from outside of this area as well? Yeah, it's a bit of a mix. I mean, because of COVID, um, we ended up having a pretty um, local crew last year in our programs. But the year before, we served people from 18 states. So oh, wow. we uh, our after school programs because of the nature of them are much more local. But our we serve probably seventy percent of our participants are participating in a course or expedition or retreat or event or that type of thing, and those folks tend to come from different places. Um, a lot of Colorado, of course, and a lot of Front Range, of course, but other places in Colorado other surrounding um, Intermountain West and Rocky Mountain states, uh, and some folks take planes to get to us as well. Uh, but it's actually really at the heart of our some of our marketing challenges right now is we're in this uh, growth trajectory. We um, know that, you know, with, with COVID came this physical and mental health crisis, and a lot of recreation and outdoor-oriented groups had to go dormant or had to shut their operations. And we've been trying to do the opposite. We've been trying to really lean into what folks need and the trauma they've experienced and the healing that they need and just connection and joy and the safeties that the outdoors provides that a lot of indoor activities don't right now. Um, and have had this uh, aspiration that's just in our past couple of years to really grow nationally, where okay. we'll still do our programs here in the Rockies. And um, in, we run programs in four states right now, New Mexico, Utah, Colorado, and Wyoming. Uh, but hopefully draw a more national crowd of folks who are interested in doing that work 
especially work around affinity spaces. Um, so queer groups, older women's groups, um, groups for BIPOC or Black Indigenous people of color as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's great. And and you mentioned that you're having some challenges with that. Is it mostly just the expansion of the mission that's that's become a little bit of a of a hurdle? Getting that well, getting the word out to to people in other states, or what's the what are the some of the challenges that you're face, facing? I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's really about resources. As mm-hmm. a not pretty small nonprofit that's worked in a kind of bootstrappy way for a long time, it's hard to justify big marketing dollars to attract a national audience. Um, So part of it, I think, is strategy coming up with like, who is it exactly that we want to reach and where are they and how will we reach them, Um, which also goes to resources. But then I think the bigger issue is just like, how do we find the the advertising dollars or, you know, social media marketing budget that are for us is like in the, you know, low thousands or high hundreds. How do we right. find those kind of resources <laughs> to do that outreach to grow in that way? Which, because of the nature of the work we do, we have like uh, we get funded and like talk about our funding sources. But some of our funding is an earned income stream for participation in some of these programs. About thirty okay. percent of people pay full price. Um, we also about seventy percent of folks are getting a free or scholarship experience because we're trying to make this accessible to people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds. Uh, but we do have some earned income streams, but it's really hard to. Um, to get that those fees increased when we don't have the big advertising dollars to spend to like put it out in backpacker or put it out in parenting magazine or something like that. Yeah. It's like a, it's always a challenge of that, that what do I, what do I do first? And you need the money to get the reach, but you need the reach to get the money. And so you're always kind of, kind of ooching each of those up a little bit. Exactly. And like, what's the, how big of a risk do we want to take and what will the return be? And so we just actually, we've had, um, for the past five years, we had had a part-time marketing person that was doing both marketing and kind of community outreach. So just Mm -hmm. going to schools and the ground game basically associated with getting folks to participate in um, a program like this. And, uh, and so we, we invested in a full-time marketing and outreach person, Okay. Uh, almost a year ago now, and that's that's been great. Um, their name is Anna Gablikian, and they came from the private sector and worked at Crafty and really understand, I think, some of the strategies behind what we're trying to do and this like mixed, this kind of blended approach of like a very community oriented go to PTA meetings, uh, meet up at you know REIs and things right. like that to a more kind of digital and um, macro look at how to attract a more national audience and think about our user segments and, you know, basically look at our database and be able to segment and message in very specific ways to specific people and that type of thing. So, yeah, yeah it sounds like you're doing a lot of the right things in terms of, it, of that investment. And, and hopefully um, you're seeing a return on, on that. Um, obviously re- investing in people is, is an investment as well. Okay. Um, so it sounds, sounds like that's kind of the first, first big step. So I'm glad to hear that you're, that you're on that path. Yeah, for sure. I think that that has been, uh, really important to us. And we're now at this point, like really trying to, um, just create assets, like basic assets for the organization. Um, we had a, we had a rebrand that was done by, um, a pro bono rebrand by a group, uh, in Portland called Struck. And okay. it was great. And they created amazing branding materials for us. And, but now it's like taking that brand and, and 
putting it into, you know, regular posts on social media and a website that's super compelling and easy to navigate. So that's been the work that we've been doing now to just like try to set foundations. And then, then I think we can get into some more specific campaigns around certain days or certain groups or ways in which we slice and dice our offerings to make them more attractive to people. Gotcha. Yeah. I heard a couple of things earlier where you were talking about the, you know, the who, the where, and the how of the people that you are hoping to engage with. Have you done that research? Do you know kind of who, who those people are that that'll feed both the, that 30% who are uh, paying uh, clients as, as well as the 70% that, that get uh, some kind of scholarship? Yeah, we have done some kind of rudimentary work around that. You know, it's so diverse. When you talk about girls, mm-hmm. women, and queer folks in the U.S., you talk about 50, you know, probably 5% of the population or something like that, somewhere between 53 and 55. And um, and each of our courses has a really different segment. So, for instance, one of our courses, an after-school program, is called Outdoor Girls, and it stands for a Girl, Immigrant, and Refugee Leadership Series. And it's specifically um, designed for girls who are immigrants, refugees, asylees, basically newcomers to the U.S. who are living in Denver. And to how we attract those girls to this program is really very different. I mean, so our materials have to be available in, um, you know, in, in Swahili and in right. uh, Karen and in all kinds of different languages, and of course in Spanish. Uh, and we're often talking to their parents who are gatekeepers to their participation. And, and so that's a very different conversation than say, uh, one of our courses is um, intro to trad climbing. So this okay. is for uh, women who are looking to transition or non-binary folks who are looking to transition from just like gym climbing, basically, or top roping to Mm -hmm. trad climbing and want to learn the basics. Like that demographic is typically a, you know, middle to upper class white woman who often doesn't have maybe a climbing community to teach her that thing. And so she wants to get some support and get some lessons in that. So really different. And then, you know, on the other hand, we have like our um, Trailblazers program, which is uh, for Black Indigenous people of color, women specifically, who are interested in learning basic outdoor skills, backpacking, lighting a stove, navigation, that type of thing. And so, for uh, how we are reaching women on a, you know, that are BIPOC nationally that don't have a socioeconomic designation, it's not a specific age designation. So, we're really kind of broad in what we do. And so I think we have done some of it, but we're in the very early stages, I would say, of getting really smart about how we um, identify, articulate, and target and go after specific folks. And I mean that in like the the least assaulting way, although that language <laughs> sounded a little aggressive. <laughs> no, it's okay. I totally understand where you're coming from there. And it is a real challenge. People, you know, the, the you have a real... <clears throat> diverse set of audiences that you're trying to to reach as well as it sounds like a fairly wide range of services that you provide in terms of skill level perhaps um so that you know kind of further complicates things when you start looking at that matrix of of all those people with all those different levels of activity um it can get a little daunting i have you have you done much segmentation either with your lists or or try to get people to kind of self-select on the site in any fashion? Uh, 
we have not on the website. Um, so, I mean, uh, to a certain degree, I think when someone signs up for a course, we know, like, if you sign up for a queer course, you identify as queer or BIPOC or a certain age group. So there is some segmentation that we have for participants. Um, mm-hmm. But that's like kind of the, the bird in the hand, I guess. The What we have not done much of, and we have, we use Salesforce as our database and we do keep that information and we can, you know, when we, for instance, um, repeat uh, participants are a big pull for us. So if we have someone participated in a summer course um, in, let's say, middle school in 2020, we're going to share with them the middle school and high school offerings for 2021. And we kind of know what they, you know, quite a bit about that person. So that one for us is kind of easy because there are inner circle of folks that we've already met and we know, you know, how they've interacted with the service that we offer. Mm -hmm. For us, where we haven't done much is like the segmentation of our broader audience. So we've got, um, you know, I think we have 15,000 people in our database. Some have just donated over the years. We've been around for a long time, but we, we don't know who all these people are necessarily. We also have our email list is almost the same size and our social following as well um, is like in the, I think 16, 17,000 across our channels. And we have not really um, looked deeply into who those folks are and how we want to um, present what to them. We know that there's not a very high conversion rate between our website uh, or sorry, our social media and our uh, registration which is kind of fascinating to us. We would think like, oh, we'll make sure we, you know, put all of our newest offerings and we were going to try to do a new, you know, adult women's expedition in Utah this year. Let's put that up there. And it doesn't seem to have much of a conversion for us, which is okay. fascinating. It's um, folks are hearing from us word of mouth or through outreach or historically new about us. Um, okay. And so, yeah, I'd say that this attracting new people to our, offering is really where we are have not done too much work around that gotcha is it that you haven't done too much work or is it that the work you have done hasn't proven out just yet we're both just kind of done like a bit of a spray and pray kind of thing where we just like message across all channels and Uh hope that it'll land in the right people's instead of being like you know, um, and it, with, that's not true for like the outdoor girls program, um, okay. where we, and this after school program that we've had to like recruit participants with such intentionality. I mean, it's like three cups of tea kind of approach to getting right. people to come participate. That's a, a really different beast, I think. And as well, some of our BIPOC programs that really come through a networking experience, but our open enrollment, like girls summer camp or um, girls after school programs that are open enrollment or women's programs, or we have a retreat called Summit Sisters, which usually attracts between 100 and 200 women. It's a three day up in Rocky Mountain National Park. Um, And we have all these amazing presenters that do like spiritual sessions and physical sessions and, um, you know, things that are um, very technical sometimes. And it's, it's an amazing, amazing experience. Uh, but we don't haven't been very specific about who we've targeted to come do that. So, okay. for instance, like using Google AdWords. Right. Um, we, we don't really use Google AdWords. We don't really know how to do it. We haven't really done it. <laughs> and I think we probably could. And it could probably be really helpful for us. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned Google AdWords because they do have a, a program for nonprofits where they will um, you know, basically donate or grant. It's called Google Grants. Um, $10,000 per month for um, – for that kind of targeted outreach. So there is money available to just play 
um, you have to um, apply for the grant, but my understanding is that it's it's relatively straightforward in terms of of the application process. So you know, as long as you're five hundred one c three in good standing and blah blah blah, they they will um, you know usually get you signed on for that. Um, and then that just gives you some money to kind of start to experiment. And that's, what's really interesting, particularly if you can do some testing, you can leverage that grant to drive some traffic and then do testing on that traffic to to really get a good understanding of what works. So it's kind of a cool program that you might want to, um, take advantage of or, or look into at least. Yeah, yeah, we have. So we uh, we have not actually used the received the grant and gotten it, but we've kind of set ourselves up for it. You had to like uh, do quite a, a robust sign up. It's for us. It's been just like we haven't been able to really access. We almost had it, hired a consultant to help us access those grants, mm-hmm. and then couldn't afford the assault, a consultant to help us access those grants. So it is something that I think we will look into. But I don't know. Do you have much experience with the actual? Um, application process or understanding how to how to access that well sadly i don't have a ton of expertise there but i just wrote myself a note to um to try and figure that out because it sounds like something that that i could you know help you or other people with if i knew a little bit more about what was going on there um you know fortunately i do have uh, I am on the board of a nonprofit called Netherland Area Trails Organization, and so there might be some opportunity for me to run a couple of experiments. Ah, that'd be great. That would be fantastic. We'd, we'd super appreciate it. Yeah, it feels a little like the, a mirage. Is that what it's called? Where there's like you're in the desert and then there's a lake, and but you can't yeah. really get there. Yeah, you keep walking towards it, and it just never gets any closer. Yeah, um, yeah. that's an interesting conundrum. I haven't heard that before, but certainly I'll, I will look into it because it feels like there's a, some opportunity there to to at least bring some some knowledge to the table for for groups like yours that are, that are looking for some opportunities there in terms of, in terms of your outreach, have you identified which groups kind of respond most successfully to things? Are you, are you doing any testing, um, that, that can, you know, give you a little insight as to what messages are working and, and how to just kind of supercharge that that stuff? You know, we did a survey uh, last fall uh, amongst our people that were already in our database um, mm-hmm. and asked them about their preferences in a whole score of things that related to our business and our marketing and how they like to be spoken to and that type of thing. And um, excuse me, so I don't have those results off the top of my head, but Anna sure would. Gotcha. Uh, maybe Anna can be a commercial in this or something. Uh, but we haven't done any testing for folks that are like outside of that already captured place. And right. I'm kind of curious if that's like for other nonprofits, if that's uh, a strategy that they've been able to do, like execute yeah. is when you don't have folks close to you to get them to give you information about their preferences. Yeah. So that's a really great question. And it actually leads to uh, kind of an observation that we've made where people do like to help provide information to nonprofits and and other organizations that they feel like is maybe giving a little bit of help. People like to help out. And one of the, and then what that can lead to is really a, a lot of 
of great strides in relationship building. Um, so simply by reaching out and asking someone their opinion and maybe providing a, you know, a three question survey or, you know, something that's, that the bar is pretty low on, um, it, it, it cements you in their mind as someone that they can help. Um, but then it also starts to spawn this question about whether or not you can help them because most relationships are, are give and take, you know, most relationships are two way. Whenever you've had a one way way relationship, I'm sure it hasn't felt very good. Even if you were on, uh, either side of that, right. You're kind of like, well, why isn't this person giving back or why am I always taking? So really leveraging those opportunities. And it sounds like you have a fairly decent sized, um, contact group in terms of your social media, it sounded to me like you had about 16,000 or 15,000 people that are kind of following you. It, it certainly would be worth, you know, just reaching out if only to just start that conversation and start that back and forth. I think that, um, that really trying to create those opportunities for dialogue, um, is a, is a great way to just get us conversation started. Um, you'd be surprised at how many people will feel, you know, will, will, give you an answer, um, to a survey, you know, to some survey questions. And then when you follow up and thank them and give them maybe another question that, you know, what, what are the programs that you might be interested in? All of a sudden you start a a conversation, which leads to a really strong relationship. Hmm. And how are folks doing that? Are they doing them just like, like very tactically? Like, is that happening on Instagram or is that happening on Facebook? And what kind of tools are they using? Yeah, it depends on the audience. You can run polls on, um, on certain platforms. You can put, uh, links out, obviously just change your bio link, um, or run a story on Instagram. If you have, uh, you know, an Instagram following, it might be worth running a story with just a, you know, a either or type of, uh, question. And you could run a series of those and, and maybe that becomes some content for either, you know, the course of, uh, a couple weeks, or you could, you know, just start asking questions on, on a given day. So it could be like the, you know, the, a special, special day that your post on, on Tuesday is always asking people to engage via a question and just start doing it. Um, and com- maybe commit to doing it for, um, you know, a couple months, once a week and just see what happens. Um, you know, with social media, you can post as much or as little as you would like to. And certainly there are some, I wouldn't call them rules, but some, some suggestions in terms of, of how often one should post. But I think if you got into a cadence and just started leveraging some of the built-in tools or, um, even something like, uh, you know, Google forms would allow you to just create surveys or you could go to survey monkey or something like that. Um, and just give people the opportunity to feel like they're in a conversation. I, I would be really interested to see if that spawned additional, um, you know, inquiries or questions coming back to you in terms of, of, uh, interesting things that people could try either on their own or how to engage with your programs. Great. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Thanks. I've, I've just made a note of it, and I think it'd be a good thing to chat with Anna about. Yeah, I think it would be uh, – I'd be really interested to see what happened with that. I mean, it sounds 
to me, like you have a pretty good mailing list. I mean, 16,000 people or 15,000 is nothing to scoff at on, on, in terms of your email. Um, I would be, you know, we always say that it's easier to get someone to come back and, 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 you know, buy from you again than it is to get a new customer. And that, that holds true in the nonprofit space as well. So I think it would be interesting to see if you could kind of hypercharge your mailing list and get that a little bit more active um, and try to go back to that well, particularly volunteer or um, your your donor list. Um, just see how many of those people you could get to, to donate again. Um, or if they aren't able to donate right now, share your mission um, and share materials with their networks. So people, like I said earlier, they really like to be, feel like they're part of something. And um, you know, that group that's already raised its hand and is active um, in terms of they've taken an action with you before you, you got their email address somehow. Um, Those are the kinds of people who you can typically get to take additional actions with your organization. um, Even just sharing information. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I think that was our experience with our survey that we sent out to just understand people's preferences is when we sent it to our email list of folks, the response rate was really high. I mean, I was thinking it would be in the single digits and I right. think it was somewhere in like the 20, 20 or 30%. Um, so it was way high. I mean, I, our open rates are just a little bit above that, but it felt like a lot of people that opened that email actually wanted to do something to help. And that was, right. I think that echoes what you're saying. How long ago did you send that survey out? I want to say that that was in uh, October, November of last year. Okay. Well, it might be worth going back to that list and sending it out again to, particularly if you have the ability to segment the list based upon people who either didn't open it the first time or maybe did open it and didn't take action um, and just say, Hey, you know, would like to give you another shot. We got a really great response. So tee it up from the perspective of, of, you know, this is a winning uh, group of people that you want to be involved with um, and or a part of or feel like you're connected to um, and just give them the opportunity uh, a second time to uh, to engage with that survey and then maybe create it might be time to create another survey for all of those people who did respond. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of the things that I'm really curious about is the organization has been you know, over the years, we've always been a gender informed organization and we mm-hmm. have worked to try to create opportunities for folks that uh, are not just girls and women, but are girls and women that have some other non-dominant identity in a way, um, right. which is not exclusively the work we do. But that is a piece of it because we've from very early on understood that Latina girls in our community are not going to be out climbing unless there's some special provision that's made because it's um, of, you know, basically the racism and misogyny in rock climbing and in the outdoor industry and in our town in general or this area, but also having to do with the, the cultural expression of outdoors of folks that are, um, Latina or Latinx is, you know, often the, how you access the outdoors looks really different and rock climbing might, might not be part of that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, so we have this history of doing social justice work. We have this um, large base of people that have participated with us, that have donated for us, that have worked for us, that is probably a majority white. I uh-huh. don't know for sure, but I'm going to say that we I'd say at least 70% white. 
And I'm really curious about, so in the past three years, we have kind of doubled down on our social justice work and been like, look, in the context of this country, at this moment, what we really need to do is we need to look at folks um, who are experiencing these complex discriminations and marginalizations. And so right. we've really, um, you know, in- intensified, I'd say, our focus on folks with these complex discriminations. That being said, it's not, I and mean, we still do lots of open enrollment programming, but we've been doing things like issuing statements about like in our anti-racism work or today it's top of mind. Like, that's probably why I'm thinking about it is, you know, we've issued this statement around violence and violence against women and mm-hmm. the sh- in response to the shootings in both Atlanta and the shootings in Boulder that just happened and basically showing our support for our community here in Boulder and talking about justice and our ability to live free from violence as people and also recognizing the, uh, the Asian and, you know, Asian American and Pacific Islander violence and the violence against women specifically that happened in Atlanta and that being mm-hmm. gender motivated and race motivated. And there also being a class dimension to that. And so I'm really curious about how these statements, they feel very one directional right now. Mm-hmm. And I'm really curious about how they um, attract new folks basically into our work or how they repel people. Maybe there are some folks that are, you know, we had a conversation with someone who called our info line or our, our phone number, sorry, not our info email, but called our phone um, after our first statement and was just really questioning it. And she was, you know, an older white woman who mm-hmm. had been part of the organization maybe 10, 15 years ago, who didn't see herself in it anymore because we were specifically calling out our interest in working with um, girls of color and folks of color and queer folks. And it didn't, it felt like her organization had changed. And right. anyhow, I'm really curious um, if there's other things that you've seen where folks have taken this moment um, of racial reckoning and social justice and and their reactions as nonprofits to that and the role they play and been able to actually have the conversation that you're mentioning as a back and forth with their stakeholders. Yeah, that is a really great question. And I think I, I think that there are, are obviously there's particular challenges that that we have to face in that in that space as we're making statements with the understanding that we're probably not going to um, appeal to a hundred percent of the people a hundred percent of the time. And there usually is a, a vocal minority on either end of that bell curve that, um, you know, feel compelled to reach out. And so unfortunately what we tend to hear are either, you know, the people who are on the, hated it side of the bell curve or the people who are on the loved it side of the bell curve and don't get a really great finger on the pulse of that, you know, that, that beefiness of the, of, of the bell curve, which represents the vast majority of, of our stakeholders or constituents. Um, so it's always a challenge. And I think that the first, the first piece is to, is to have good, solid, um, values, vision, and mission in what you're hoping to accomplish with the understanding that, that the people who are running the organization and who are part of the organization are all on board with that North star of where, where you're hoping to go. Um, we tend to get swayed particularly by the negatives. Um, but you know, we just, 
we're not going to hit it out of the park a hundred percent of the time. And frankly, if we, if we're not upsetting someone or making someone joyous every once in a while, then we're not, you know, we're, we're kind of being too middle of the ground. And so I think the first thing I would recommend, I'm sort of long way around on that is, is to not get too, um, too roughed up internally about the fact that, that someone, you know, didn't like that particular approach. Um, it certainly gives you the opportunity to have a back and forth and to get their thoughts on what, you know, what they would recommend, um, have a dialogue with them. Um, but it, it also, you know, gives you the chance to learn, uh, or take that experience and, and perhaps make it into a bigger learning experience and, and put it out there, um, to, to the, you know, some portion of your list perhaps to just get a feel and get a, get a, an understanding of where people really sit. And if, I think if you come at it from the perspective of this is what we're trying to do and the, these are the reasons we're trying to do it and, and maybe put it out there as a question that you're, you're really seeking, um, you know, people's opinions on that, uh, that that's a, a good way to start a dialogue and to demonstrate that you are listening. Um, because I think there are a lot of organizations that, that come at this from the perspective of, of soapbox and, um, you know, and, and that's not how relationships work. Uh, they, like we, like I said earlier, they need to be two way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I very much appreciate that. Yeah. It's hard. Um, you know, we all tend to, tend to react to negative comments and, and also get very um, sensitive to the, to those in that we, we don't want to have those happen. Right. Um, But sometimes I think if we're, if we're doing big, big things that are hard, you know, there are going to be times that we're going to ruffle some feathers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, for, for us, I'd say it's not um, that having a couple of folks, who, you know, are detract from that or are vocally disapproving, that that's much of a problem. I guess what I don't, what I'm curious about is in your bell curve example is like, what's the middle of the bell? You know, like Mm -hmm. how are they perceiving of this and how is our constituency or our stakeholders, people that we're working with on, in all the ways, how is that shifting by this orientation of ours that's very mission driven? Um, and maybe it's not shifting at all, or maybe it's growing, or maybe we are having a more diverse group of people that are caring about what we do because we're more visible in space related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the outdoors, let's say. And I, mm-hmm. I really don't know. So I think some of that is like, would those insights would be super valuable to knowing yeah. how we do outreach and marketing and what is the impact of what we're doing? Because sometimes you get this sense that you're just um, operating with a certain, with like, you know, blinders on a little bit. You don't know uh, what you're throwing, how you, what you're throwing out is being received unless there's like massive unsubscribes on your email or, sure. you know, right. I mean, some of, some things you can see fluctuations in our, you know, open rates or that kind of thing, but a lot of it not, you know, a lot of it is kind right. of opaque. Well, there are a few things that you can try. And the first I think is keeping things holding things a little closer to the vest in terms of who you're reaching out to with, with bold statements before you're, before you've tested them. Um, and so that's where you could probably leverage that, that 
email list as opposed to just put, putting stuff out on social um, because you do have the ability to to kind of frame that in this perspective of hey this is this is the direction we think we're wanting to go here because we feel that it's important to to be inclusive and to and to take a stand on on violence against women and violence against people um, in general and um, and this is the direction we're, we're planning to go and then just ask you know, ask the question to say, how, how do you, how do you feel? How should we tackle this? And that, again, it gets that relationship going. It gets that, that dialogue, that back and forth really going. And I think that, um, it does it in a little bit less public scenario. Um, so people can feel like they have the opportunity to weigh in on it, but at the end of the day, you're still pushing that agenda. You're still just by asking that question, you're putting that out there as something that you, that you feel is important and, and is nudging that list toward that, you know, that ultimate goal, um, that you're, you're hoping to achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I appreciate that. Sure. Um, yeah, that's a, that's really interesting stuff. And it's so it's so challenging. The other thing to consider is that the, you know, the, the curve, the big chunk of that bell curve, it, you know, it could be moving, um, you know, one way or, or the other. And hopefully it's moving the direction that, that you want to take the organization. But, but certainly, you know, that's another thing to consider is that the, you know, that the meat of that bell curve is, is very fluid as well. Yeah, I mean, you look at examples like from the private sector, like you look at Nike, and when mm-hmm. they, you know, put out the ad, oh, this was like two years ago or something about uh, Colin Kaepernick, and they basically like showed support and put out a, did a big ad campaign behind him. Mm-hmm. And he was kind of a polarizing figure at that time. And Nike does a great job. I mean, you know, they, there's a ton of criticism that, you know, you could make around Nike and their supply chain in the 90s and so forth and so on, and sexual harassment claims during Me Too and now, and them being a very, you know, um, male dominant and, and white dominant organization. That being said, they push the needle on a lot of social justice issues in ways that a lot of sport organizations, especially big sport organizations in the United States, just absolutely do not do. And so mm-hmm. when Colin Kaepernick, you know, that ad came, campaign came out, like the NFL and a lot of the owners were really under attack for their treatment of him and their treatment of and looking at basically race and blackness and in their sport and Nike stock like skyrocketed mm-hmm. after that, you know, it was like for them, their bell curve, um, just, it, it grew like they just there, it was great for their business. And although we're a nonprofit, I think that there's something really interesting to learn from that, from following, you know, your, your gut or your market, or I don't know, maybe that's just sheer marketing genius, or maybe that's knowing that you stand for something and you're going to stand behind it is going to be a risk. And, yep. you know, there, sometimes those risks are going to pay off in, in dividends. And either way, it's your DNA and it's who you decided to be. And so you've got to be convicted in how you speak about the issues that you care about. Well, I, th- I think that, I think more companies have had success when they've taken stands than, than when they haven't. And certainly I think that one needs to have a good understanding of, of the target audience um, before you, before you take a stand, because, you know, certainly we could, you know, Nike could have certainly taken a completely opposite stand and it would have been interesting to see what would have happened there. 
Um, so I think that's that as long as you're coming at things from an authenticity standpoint or, or, or a position of authenticity and a, and a position of passion and that you have done that work that identifies what your, what your values are and your vision. So that long-term vision of, of, you know, where, how your organization fits into the world and, and how it's going to be a better place due to all of the great activities that you're, that you're up to on a, on a daily basis. And then, and then the, the mission, which is, are those day-to-day activities that drive toward that vision. Um, as long as you're solid on that and, and have communicated that and are taking steps that feel and that are aligned with, with those kind of guiding principles. Um, you know, I think that in the end, you're going to come out ahead. Um, when people tend to get in trouble is when they get wishy-washy about it. And when they either take a big stand and then, and then back off from that, or they, you know, fail to take any sort of stand at all. So they just feel very center of the road and, and, you know, people like to be a part of a movement in a lot of ways. And, um, and I think, I think that it's, you know, if your heart's in the right place and you're, and you're, you're driving toward those ideals that you've, that you've defined as part of your organization. I think you're, I think you're going to win. Yeah. Yeah. I sure hope so. I feel that way as well. I'm just taking a couple of notes here. Um, I just, you know, I think, I think for you really just leaning into that list and particularly the, the, the email list, figuring out how to segment that in, in ways that enable you to tell different stories to different parts of that list. And that may again, be going back to the list and just asking them what, what they're interested in and giving them, you know, several, several things that they can choose from, but figuring out how to get this diverse audience, um, into slightly smaller buckets to, to which you can actually really, start to have conversations, um, is going to benefit, benefit you on a whole host of, of levels. I think you're going to see more people sharing that content, um, more people really standing up and saying, I want to be a part of this and also people engaging in, in the services you provide. Yeah. And what's a, like the quintessential example you've seen of that, or like the most successful little anecdote you can share? I'm curious, because you probably huh. talked to a lot of people about um, concepts like this. Well, one that I've talked about in the past, and I hate to use the same example all the time, but they stand out to me for a lot of reasons, and that's Patagonia. And I remember back in the day, Patagonia got derided as Patagucci and, you know, people said, oh, this is really expensive and, you know, and it's just for, for yuppies or, or what have you. And maybe that's still going on. Maybe I'm just hanging with the wrong, wrong group and, and uh, Patagonia still gets derided in that way. But it feels like to me that they, that, that attitude and that assessment of the, of that business tapered off pretty heavily when Patagonia really leaned into their environmental stance. And as soon as they started taking really big risks in terms of just taking a, a, a solid stand on their position in terms of the environment, and I'm not going to suggest that that Patagonia is the perfect company out there or anything. I'm, I haven't worked for them, um, but 
you know, I imagine that they have you know problems like any large organization. But as soon as they really started leaning into that idea, I feel like the the attitude around that kind of Patagucci label just fell off. And and people started saying, you know what? These guys are willing to to you know put their money where their mouth is or or you know where their you know wear their badge of of environmentalism in such a way that I'm willing to support them with my dollars, understanding that it may cost a little bit more or you know maybe a lot more, but but I want to be part of that movement. And I and I I really do feel like that transition happened when they, when they finally just, just went for it in terms of, of their stewardship. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I think those bold moves, like by, I think Patagonia is a, a great example. Um, REI and Black Friday and closing mm-hmm. doors on Black Friday is another one of those examples that I think is like almost counter uh, intuitive what it would actually, that it would drive more sales because they took a, an intense stand. And, um, I really, I respect those plays for sure. Yeah. I think, you know, when, particularly when you take stands that feel like they're against where you should be in terms of, you know, Patagonia's ad that everyone mentions, you know, they, they certainly did some really big things on black Friday as well in terms of shutting down and then donating all of their revenue and, um, you know, they did some really cool things to to kind of bolster this idea of of community and and environmental stewardship. But you know, when they took out the ad that was, you know, basically "Don't buy this jacket" ad, um, you know, that was a big a, a big shift as well. And that was a little more recent than than them jumping on the environmental wagon. But you know, you think, well, Patagonia is out here to to sell me more jackets. Why are they advertising to, you know, repair the one that I have? And, um, you know, they've really seemed to have, have stood by that, uh, that ethos. And I think that, I think people like to be, uh, you know, buddied up with, um, organizations that are willing to take big stands. Yeah. Especially when it's in an authentic way. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you hear Yvonne Chouinard and he says like, we're in business to save the planet or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like that is literally how they define as an organization. And there is a, a certain um, authenticity, but there is a hypocrisy. I don't know. Hypocrisy is not the right word, but there is a conflict in a multinational market driven company. That's like selling clothing. And also at the same time is trying to do this deep environmental work. And I think at the end of the day, it's that do no harm. You know, it's yeah. to get to a place of zero um, where we're not negatively impacting. And that is a, a bit of a different proposition than I think nonprofits who come out with the idea that there is a um, net social or environmental benefit to them being there, not just uh, to do no harm, you know, which isn't yeah, to say that nonprofits yeah. can't do harm. I think that there's plenty <laughs> of opportunities for all nonprofits to do harm as well, even with the best intentions. Yeah. And I think that that, is that's a, a really great observation. I, I think, I think that nonprofits have some additional challenges, um, that, that, that they need 
to continue to to try to overcome. I mean, at the end of the day, if I'm going out and I'm and I've decided I need a new jacket and I'm going to make that purchase, the reward that I get comes after the sale, right? Like I feel good about about this because I got a thing in return for um, that value exchange of money. Where with a nonprofit, really the reward happens before that sale. And so you're, you have an immediate like fall off as soon as you've made that decision. Um, and then the hard part comes cause you have to actually part with your money. Um, so talking about donations, for example, so there's this additional, uh, you know, uh, friction that nonprofits have to overcome to keep people motivated after they've reached the point of, of enthusiasm ar- about an organization. And then they want to, to, participate in some fashion. Um, and so it's, it's just an, an added level of, of, like I said, just friction that nonprofits have to overcome that for-profit industry leaders or, or businesses don't have to have to contend with as much. Totally. Yeah. That really resonates. And I have really enjoyed our conversation today. I know you need to get going and, I just want to thank you for, for being on the show. How, how can people find out more about Women's Wilderness? Oh, they can do that by following us on Instagram or Facebook, uh, Women's Wilderness. We're pretty easy to find. And uh, go into our website. We have a new website that's actually launching next week, and it's womenswilderness.org. And there you can figure out how to donate to us. You can figure out more about what we're doing and why we're doing it or sign up for courses. So we've got expeditions and uh, after-school courses and programs going year-round. So um, would love to have any of your listeners join us. And uh, Stu, just thank you very much for the work that you're doing to try to support nonprofits in this area of marketing and for specifically uh, shining a light on Women's Wilderness and the, the work that we're trying to do. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been my pleasure. I, I really like to end all of my shows with an ask, and that is some way for people to take action. And I love having these conversations, but I also like to leave people with something to do at the end of our conversations. So if you were to ask our audience to take an action after listening to our show today, what would that action be? Uh, well, you know, I mean, I'm tempted to say donate or sign up for a course on our website, but I think it's actually kind of more than that for me. I, in the climate that we're operating in today, um, where there is such violence and such inequity, um, from an economic standpoint and a racial standpoint, I think I just consider, uh, ask folks to consider how their own interactions with the outdoors might be able to inspire some, change and some shift in the injustices that we see. It's kind of, they're unlikely bedfellows for a lot of people, but uh, if you take a look at our work or follow what we do, it might prompt some ideas of how your own activism and ability to create some change um, might be able to be connected to your, your outdoor or your play uh, life. Oh, well, I think that's great. I am looking forward to going outside and playing here since we have longer days now. And um, I really, again, appreciate you being on the show today. I had a great, great time talking with you and learning more about your organization and uh, what all the great work you're doing over there at Women's Wilderness. Thanks so much, Stu. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye-bye. All right. There you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. 
If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.